It's like a fat burner. Every company sells it, but if you look at the data, it'll help you burn like 25 extra calories a day. That's not worth spending 30 pound a month on. Like it's just an absolute waste of time and money. Ben Coomba. Ben Coomba. Ben Coomba. He has the number one health and fitness podcast on iTunes. And he also owns Awesome Supplements, an award-winning plant-based supplement company. We've had pallets where the delivery guys just opened it, run a Stanley knife down it, chopped open like 40 bags, and you're like, well, 400 quid that's just evaporated with one swift you know, Stanley knife blade sort of thing. Before I got ill, our company was doing well. We were doing about a million and a half. Everything was great. I got ill. In the space of two years, lost 180 grand, all through bad decisions. So if people want in this podcast raw numbers of how your health can affect your business, that's it. Hey everyone, welcome back to the TED Talks podcast. Now, every morning I have cereal and I have fruit. Now, on top of this, I have kefir and coconut milk. It's a strange combination, ignore that. But importantly, I put something in this combination, and this is protein powder. Now, I used to have whey protein powders, like way back in the day, and I think it annoyed my stomach. I'm not really sure. Anyways, I made a switch, and you've seen me speak about this on my Instagram before, to a vegan protein powder. And I'm fortunate enough to have the founder, CEO, managing director, the boss man of this very brand sitting in front of me now. And we are going to talk about everything supplements, everything running a supplement health business, the kind of pros and cons of that, the whys, the the legalities, the manufacturing, the branding, the ethics, the research, the awards, everything. So yeah, let's get into it. Ben, welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Dude, thanks for having me. I'm excited. I'm, it's amazing to me to see your face and these here because literally I have a drawer in my kitchen. It's like this wide and I put it open and there's like four bags of awesome protein <laughs> and my cereal. And literally every morning, same thing, like every, like pretty much every single day. Yeah. So it's amazing to have you here to talk about your brand, talk about the business because supplements can seem like a, a, a not a very easy business to get into. We look at the likes of say my protein in bulk and we think, they're huge. Mm. They've been acquired for X amount of money. They've got partnerships with various people. This is, and there's also then the, the science aspect of, hold on, I'm producing something people are going to eat or consume. There's some safety here. So I really want to go into that. But before we talk about that, I understand you were a coach for, was it 15 years or you still are before you launched this? Yep. So tell me about that. And then why or what got you into launching this business? Like every good business story, you get frustrated at something. Uh, and I got frustrated at the supplement industry. So I was working with a supplement company, great little company, pretty small, really believed in their values and ethics. And then over time, that just started to become washy, shady as the pull of money and all that kind of stuff kind of crept in. So we sort of basically fell out. And as someone in my position in the health and fitness industry, people were constantly asking me, what supplements do you take? And I was talking about it a lot because I was building plans for people and all that stuff. And I was like, huh, okay, I need a new supplement company to promote. And I started to look around and they were kind of all doing the same thing. They were all selling 50 to 60% of the supplements heavily underpinned by science. And then there was this like 40% of supplements were really floating in the gray and some just floating in the red. Like that just doesn't work. But the thing is, is like, culturally in the fitness industry it's like everyone takes it it's like a fat burner every company sells it but if you look at the data it'll help you burn like 
25 extra calories a day, that's not worth spending £30 a month on. Like, it's just an absolute waste of time and money. So in my business naivety, I said, how hard can it be to start a supplement company? And as you do, you kind of sit around the table, you think up names, what would we do? And that's how it started. And yeah, we're now, we're now approaching our seventh birthday. Yes, wow. this month. And, you know, starting any business is tough. I think certain businesses are harder than others and come with more restrictions and things to think about. You said, we're going to start it, we'll come up with a name. You know, how do you go from there? You reach out to contract manufacturers, people that can make it. You sit down with them, say, this is what I want to do. They talk you through the process, the MOQs, minimum order quantity. It's usually very high. Um, I was fortunate enough to come across a small-ish contract manufacturer and they're willing to work on smaller volumes because a lot of them are like they're big volumes like you've got to have 100k to kind of you know drop into a line sort of thing and we sort of built from there I was very fortunate well not fortunate because I worked hard for it but I had another profitable business and we used the profit from that business to fund this business and anyone that's in a product-based business will appreciate that you have to pay for things before you can sell them it's not like services where you can go out and just deliver and get paid so we invested quite a lot of cash up front probably at least 100 100 grand uh, to get the business off the ground and i mean it didn't turn a profit for a good four or four or five years and how how does that feel because you know, everyone wants to invest something and get a return instantly, but we know in real life it doesn't happen. But four years is a significant amount of time to invest six figures mm. to not make profit. Like, how did it feel in those four years? Firstly, I'm cool playing the, the long game. Secondly, I had another business that was bringing in profits. So I was like, look, as long as we can make this work, cool, let's invest. I saw the long play. Thirdly, ego. Uh, I sort of sat there and was like, well, if I'm going to do a supplement company, I'm going to need to do this and do that. And I, I basically felt that I needed to launch a brand with a full range. Otherwise, you might look at my website and go, oh, well, he only does that. Yeah. So I've got to go there. And, I think, and then people are like, and then you're, you're really having to persuade people to just buy one product, especially if I'm like, oh, you've got to pay delivery on top of that as well. And then yeah. you're like, look, come on, take the piss. In hindsight, what would I do differently? I probably would have done some testing with the manufacturer, picked the product that absolutely stood out and tried to go to market with the one product that people are just like, oh my God, I can't not buy that product from you because it's that incredible. And we do have one of those products. So our chocolate salted caramel protein powder is our biggest seller by far, sell thousands of bags a month. Wow. If I'd have brought that out first, I think I could have built off the success of that with a lower capital investment. Mm. But we are where we are. That's the approach I took. I went for a brand first approach to the business. And again, that's another long play. So I don't know. I think I've read enough business books to know that if you can see real strength in your long-term brand vision, then you will come out the other side of it. And if you can believe in what you're doing for three, four, five years, then you'll, you'll make a good go of it. And if you read most business stories, the inflection point seems to be around three to four years for a lot of people. Yeah. You know, if you think about your content, your businesses, whatever, yeah. first year, you're like, ah, second year, you're like, ah, but a few things working. Yeah, and the yeah. third year, you're like, oh, 
oh, okay, cool, yeah, uh, I like this. And then year four, you're like, boom, 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 I buy myself a car. <laughs> I mean, that's basically how it feels. Um, yeah. but, and people don't want to hear that. No. And they don't want it to take that long. And so for people who have maybe never run a business before, technically, what was, what was happening in the business for those four years that you didn't make a profit? Because some people would say, okay, put 100 grand in, you got 100 grand worth of product sitting there, you sell it, you make profit. So why was it not profitable for four years technically? Didn't know enough about business finance and really protecting the margin and all the different places margin disappear. Mm. Unfortunately, didn't have enough good advice in my business to protect that and put someone really in charge of that. So business, the, the raw economics of it. Um, so like, for example, we might go, oh, our working margin's 55%. But then you start to look at shipping, pick and pack, fulfillment. And then you look at discount codes you're potentially giving away in your marketing. Then your paid marketing spend. Then you start staff spend. And actually, we just weren't looking at that well enough. And we were blinded because I run a group of companies. So there's three brands under one company. So all of the profit is brought into one ecosystem. So we're able to like cover losses in other areas as we maybe build other areas and pull levers. There's advantages to that, but there's disadvantages because you can become lazy at looking across the board at your numbers and stuff. Um, so that was one factor. And with growth comes more investment. If I order 1,000 units this time, I've got to order 2,000 next time if I'm growing, 3,000 next time. Um, and then you kind of want to push your margins. So your manufacturer's like, oh, you can save 70p if you order 5,000. So you're like, God, should we do it? Maybe we'll get some investment. Maybe we'll get a bigger loan. So, you know, it soon gets eaten up. And that's why so many brands in our space have to take on investment. So many product brands, have, especially food brands, have to take on investment. There's also a lot of risk in food, like it going off. You know, we've had pallets where, you know, a delivery guy's just opened it, run a, a Stanley knife down it, you know, and chop, chopped open like 40 bags. And you're like, well, you know, there's 400 quid that's just evaporated with one swift, you know, Stanley knife blade sort of thing. So... You know, there's a lot of things that can creep up on you and that's why you've got to have skin in the longer vision because there will be a lot of those uh, moments. Yeah, and I think that just shows how complex business is. And, and yeah, we can simplify it, buy a product, sell it, make a margin, but there's so many verticals within your business that you, you know, maybe weren't keeping an eye on or just got out of hand or like the delivery that people really don't think about when they're starting. You know, there's so many complexities to it. So you went brand first. But when it comes to your product, I prefer the vanilla, actually. I think okay. the vanilla is just because I like salted caramel. It's banging. But the vanilla just tastes so creamy and it just doesn't taste like vegan protein powder. Sure. Which for me is like the biggest like wow moment with the whole thing when mm. I was like, this is because I used to drink whey all the time and it was like, it has a different flavor. It's more... I don't know, tastes more real at some point. Creamy? Yeah, like yeah. more creamy, more like dairy. I love dairy, so it tastes yeah. like dairy. And then I had yours, and then I was just like, the house is vegan, this is mad. Um, so that's like something we'll talk about. But that product is central because, of course, someone could order a bag off your branding, mm. they get it, and that's it, you've lost them because the product's terrible. Yep. So from the beginning, how did you... Obviously, you had the fitness nutrition knowledge, but how did you design or create a protein powder that would taste so good and tick all of your boxes with a sort of manufacturer who probably just wants an easy life and just says, oh, here's some protein. Having, sorry, having high standards. 
The manufacturer sends you a sample based on your spec and you're like, hmm, it's okay, needs improvement. And then you'll probably say, oh, you know, can you improve this? They'll send you a second sample. And what I think a lot of brands do in our space is they then go, well, how much can we push this? How much can we ask? Because also a lot of flavoring houses and contract manufacturers, they charge you to make the product. But because I was able to get a manufacturer that was quite small and they wanted the business, they could see my following and the potential you know, growth trajectory. They were like, well, we'll design your products for free. So I, I wouldn't say I abused that, but like I want the perfect product. If I'm going to bring it into a market that's competitive, you know, I've got to have a really good product. So I just pushed the manufacturer and we probably did 10, 12, 14 different sampling rounds till I was like, do you know what? I think that's absolutely brilliant. Bring it to market. Um, so yeah, product has to come first. Otherwise you're going to die uh, in business. Like, cause again, you'll just go, well, I'll go and look on Amazon, try yeah. a different brand, try a different brand, yeah. try a different brand. And I go to, a, I used to go to events all the time and we'd speak to potential customers and they're like, so would you like to buy a bag? And they're like, oh, the thing is, I've got like five sitting in my cupboard that I kind of need to drink, but I don't like them. And it, that is a problem with the world of protein because a lot of the powders out there are terrible. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, so do you need product knowledge in the sense that when it comes to that, the sort of nuances of that back and forth with this, uh, with this manufacturer, are you saying, oh, add less sucralose, add this, or are you just saying here's the flavor profile I want, but I don't want these ingredients and I don't mind these. And they create, like, who really formulates it? Yeah, that exact process. So I put the spec together and depending on my knowledge, I might lean on their experience because they'll have a lot of market experience. And then I'd say, fortunately, I'm a bit of a foodie. Like, I've got a good palate. I think I've got a good judgment for what's bad and what's good. And then my brother's the same. So my brother, he's got a great palate. And then you start to ask, your wife and a few friends and stuff and you know six or seven opinions you should be able to get it pretty close mm. um so it's, it's it's not complicated like it's not hard and you asked a sort of a i suppose you made a statement at the beginning like how do you get into the supplement business it's again it's not hard anyone can start a supplement company mm. i wouldn't recommend they do because i believe that you have to have credit you should have credibility you should have expertise um because in the modern world you get found out like yeah. you know and the reviews will show it. people will try your product and be like this guy's an idiot, this product, shit. Like, yeah, then your business will. is sunk. It's, it's true. And, you know, the product, how do you, without giving any you know, trade secrets away, how do you make it taste so good while still being vegan, while still mixing well? Mm. Because I mix it with kefir, which isn't the easiest thing to mix with. Nope. Coconut milk is kind of, it's basically water. It's a kind of, it mixes well. And even with water, it mixes well. I've mixed it with, I don't know, maybe some milk at some point. Everything about it is not what, you know, traditional vegan protein powders kind of give you. So how, how do you do that whilst keeping it free of nasty stuff and healthy? Yeah. So the fitness industry is obsessed with protein content mm-hmm. and we're mildly obsessed with it. The problem is you have to constantly sacrifice taste when you're constantly pushing for the highest protein content. So a protein bars are really a good example. Mm-hmm. Like our protein bars are about 18 to 19 grams of protein per bar for 250 calories if i want it to be higher i can but i have to sacrifice bar texture so it means the bar will be really dry which Mm -hmm. is a common complaint of a lot of people like oh protein bars powdery like there yeah the same as with protein powder so i can make my protein 80 percent protein but i have to sacrifice taste 
Now, in the vegan and plant-based market, most people are complaining that the taste is crap. Yeah. So I'm going to say to you, I tell you what, are you happy with there being a little bit less protein in it per 100 grams or per serving? You can just use a bigger serving if you want a bit more. Which I do. But it's going to taste absolutely incredible. And basically, we just put less gums in it so it mixes easier. We put more cocoa in it, more natural flavouring, and just work to get that balance right. Like with any kind of recipe, you work the balance, so then you end up with a good tasting product. And why don't other... So other companies are obsessed with getting the most, so we've got 95% protein content. But why aren't others maybe doing what you're doing in terms of making that sacrifice? Is it because the world is obsessed with, if I'm paying 10 pounds, I need 90% protein and I have to get the max out of it? Is that simply it? There's a lot of problems there. So I suppose there's a potentially a good business lesson here. You can have a great idea and see an opportunity, but sometimes there's a huge upheaval in how much you have to educate your market to show them that you're a better product and for x reasons so if the market out there is like i must get a protein powder with 80 percent plus protein content i've got to talk to you quite a lot through a lot of content a lot of marketing and that costs time and money to show you that there's a benefit to maybe sacrificing there a little bit so that's the first thing secondly most supplement companies care more about money than they do the product so they're like we'll make it taste all right We'll run a discount. We'll make it look sexy by putting an influencer behind it who's got abs or, you know, in the gym with their bikini on, whatever, doing ridiculous stuff. Um, And, yeah, that's kind of the crux of it, really. So we just went with a make the product incredible first and we'll just play the long game and hopefully build over time. And our statistics show or prove that it is the right approach because we have 80% customer retention rate. 80% 80% of our customers are reordering you know, every month. Um, so that's testament that we're doing something right. Wow. And one thing I saw and I always see on the packs is the protein powders are free of heavy metals, fillers, etc. Mm. Now, I would assume, apart from maybe tap water and other bits, that most food products I eat are going to be free of heavy metal and free of that stuff. But yours specifically says it. Does that mean that other protein powders have heavy metals and fillers and what's the story with that potentially so orga- uh, pea protein is a good example we use organic pea protein as our base mm-hmm. so pretty much 70 percent of the ingredient in that product is organic um and you they'll make the they'll grow the peas in whatever country they'll harvest it now you have no idea what kind of chemicals fertilizers and once it's all ground down into a powder that might really kind of concentrate itself. The same could be said with, I don't know, looking at fish. Yeah. You know, you wouldn't think there's heavy metals in your fish, but there is. Like yeah. some fish have heavy, high heavy metal levels and we actually have warnings to say, well, actually, you probably shouldn't eat too much tuna because it shows that they're consistently high in heavy metals. So we knew that that was a problem in the ecosystem. Not a lot of people really cared. Like you probably didn't look out for that when you went looking for a protein powder. Oh. But some people are. And again, it was a long-term quality standard of ours. It's like, we don't want that because I don't want that in my body. <laughs> so I'm yeah. going to not put it in, yeah. make sure it's not in my product. Interesting. I, yeah, I know things like tuna, swordfish can have mercury and, and things. There. And I know that everything that's not organic can have any chemical in, given the, the pesticides and insecticides that are used. So yep. that, that makes sense, especially with the, the kind of crushing it down. And with... 
with you know any supplement now i think creatine is one of the most researched mm. safest sort of enhancers maybe we can call it supplements out there everything's very well understood very well tolerated by most people you know give or take same with protein powder in the sense that it's a food almost yeah but society always looks for hacks and shortcuts and oh let me take this bulletproof coffee and these fat burners which is just caffeine basically yeah. or a bit of taurine or you know whatever did you get hate when you were starting up or even now where people just say, oh, you're just selling dreams, you're selling these fake supplements? You're, you know, do you get that kind of thing on your brand, people saying this? We didn't know. And that's because when we launched, we had quite a strong marketing campaign against the current state of the industry. So we're not going to do this. And that might be we're not going to use influencers with their abs out in the gym being like, you can look like me if you take my protein powder. <laughs> it's such nonsense. So we committed to not doing that. And then we... We had this whole marketing campaign because we're like, we're different. And this is why we're different. Um, and it seems to have worked. Yeah. And I think, again, that the influencer thing is I was speaking to someone the other day and I just thought it's kind of like chicken and egg because do we blame the influencers, the company or society? Because a lot of people will see that person with this, I don't know, whatever supplement. There's literally, I don't know, grated salmon skin, whatever nonsense they come up with. And they look fit and they'll say, causal relationship not correlational not yep. causal and they'll buy it and they'll look at themselves and say why am i still fat because you're eating too much because you're not exercising and it's like people don't start with those basics so you know with you being a supplement company and of course your background as a coach and i know your website also has blogs and has calorie calculators and some useful like nutrition bits yep. do you find that you and i think you might mention this earlier but you're almost also educating people and then I suppose if you are or you aren't, where's the line of, because obviously pharmaceutical companies and others will educate to sell, right? Yeah. Oh, have you got a rash? I think you need that medicine. How do you, if you do or not, educate, but then not take it to the point where you're educating and saying, I think you need the protein powder to be healthy? So I, I wouldn't describe ourselves as a supplement company. I'd describe us as an education company because we're education first. And then I want you as mm. a consumer to make an informed decision as to say, well, actually, this could benefit me. Like, I'm not going to stand there and go, protein powder could benefit you because of all these amazing things. You should definitely take it. It's like, this is where it fits into your lifestyle, your goals, your current potential deficiencies in your diet. Because if I looked at your diet and I'm like, mate, you're hardly eating any protein. And you're like, oh, I don't like meat. And I don't like eating this. And I don't like... I'm like, well, a simple solution would be to have a protein shake with yeah. your breakfast, which is what you're essentially doing. Yeah, yeah. So it fits that person's lifestyle. So education has to come first because it's also like a long-term brand proposition for us. Like mm -hmm. it's a value of ours. Like I don't want to sell you something and you go down the pub and chat to your mates and say, oh, I've been taking this thing. It's like, <laughs> you've been sold. Like, and then I've lost all my credibility because I've sold you something that either doesn't work or it's just not right for you. And that's really important. And we probably did ourselves a massive disservice in the early days because we used to go to a lot of events and present our products at events and booths and all the rest of it. So I used to speak at a lot of events. And um, people would come over to us and they'd be like, right, I'm training for the gym. I want this. I want that. Will this help? And you're kind of stood there and you're like, <laughs> and you want to like backtrack and almost give them a nutrition consultation at the event. And we had so many people walk away from our booth because... We were like, this isn't right for you right now because you need to go away and sleep better. You're not even got your nutrition right. Like, 
No offense, it doesn't sound like you're training very hard. That's probably why you're not building muscles. So creatine is not going to help. So hopefully, I'm help, hoping that we had long-term brand value there by actually doing the right thing and not selling someone something at that point because they weren't ready for it. Yeah, that's so important. And I think it's easy to make the sale at that point because you've got a customer in front of you. If you say, yeah, absolutely, I think that'll work, they'll buy it. So I think that that separates certain companies from other companies. And again, it's a long-term play. They'll remember that and they'll come back in X many years, maybe buy a product and say, I appreciate you giving me that advice. And that's the I hope so. Well, probably not. Well, <laughs> they probably went to the next booth and the guy went, <laughs> and then got sold no, you. you can no take this. Honestly, what we probably should have done was like, you're right. But after purchase, I'm going to send you some information because I really want you to understand like X, Y, and Z. Yeah. That's what we should have done. But I, you know, sometimes we need our values checked because our values are being blinded by like other values and you need to like soften yeah. them to have like, a broader picture, better progress for the individual. So I've learned, I've learned. That. Yeah, but I also think society, again, just wants, it, you know, it wants to go for these hacks and these shortcuts and this 2% increase when you're not sleeping well, you're not eating or you're not moving, you're not even mm. getting a thousand steps a day. You're doing, your brilliant basics are so lacking that creatine is not going to help you. Like actually maybe lift a two RPE before failure, maybe do something else. Mm. And then you can, you know, look at the percentages that increase. So I think... It's like something of society as well. And what we're talking about your product, and we've said it a few times, it's vegan. Are you vegan? Is it important to you? Why is it vegan? I'm not vegan myself. I would say I have a plant-focused diet. So a large percentage of my diet is plants. I'm not vegan because I believe, well, it is a ethical choice. Like I don't believe in killing animals for food. That's not a belief that I have. But I had a supplement company that was pretty much like 90% vegan. So we basically had all of these products with a few tweaks. They could be vegan. And then we had fish oil and whey protein. And we were going through a rebranding journey. And I personally don't like whey protein, but I shouldn't let my bias get in the way of my business's decisions. But we were also trying to move our production, some of our production out of Europe because of Brexit was causing a lot of problems. So we were trying to make our whey protein and with a different manufacturer and we're like this quality is just not good enough it's not good i'm like i'm not happy selling this and then we were like i think our plant protein is brilliant like it's our highest selling product by far we might have been selling 250 tubs of whey protein a month but we were selling 3,000 tubs of vegan protein a month so it's like the market's telling us something we've got friction in our business of the quality of the product why don't we go you know, fully plant-based? Um, so it kind of felt like a bit of a business decision, but it was also an amalgamation of things that were kind of coming together. And as I started to gain more financial ability and awareness in our business, because I was, I was saying to you that was a problem at the beginning, we were starting to look at product you know, ecosystem, supply chain, profitability, all the rest of it. And the whey protein was just a problem. And the market is highly competitive. Like how many whey proteins are out there? Let's just say there's 200, but there's only like 40 vegan proteins. So it's like, well, why don't we try and win in a slightly more uncompetitive market? And I was just super proud of the product. I was like, the product can win. It's winning and it will win better. So we just, we made that kind of choice. Um, and then it just widened the inclusivity. It's like, if I can make a vegan omega-3 oil, which is more sustainable, better for the planet, why wouldn't I do it as opposed to 
chopping up fish just to get the oil out of it. Like it just doesn't make sense. So it was a, an amalgamation of reasons. I agree. I think there's logical reasons like that. It's just like, why not? It potentially will cost more. It may cost more to the consumer. But I think we're in a place where people are happy to pay more for certain things, especially if they're ethical or vegan or it helps the planet. Now, we've spoken a lot about the product. So, of course, when you look at the customer journey, Mm. the product is, I suppose, central of it in the sense that once they have it, you know, you can almost hook them in with the product. They'll keep buying it. Your marketing is important, you know, to keep the customer But I think marketing is even more important before they even have a product, right? Which is customer acquisition. Um, You're on Instagram. You're quite active on Instagram posting, you know, serious nutrition stuff, but also funny stuff like King Charles carrying your bags of protein out of of Buckingham Palace. So how do customers find you and and how do they then get into your sort of, you know, customer ecosystem? What are the main ways you market and brand and find customers? Yeah, word of mouth is huge. We get a lot of people you know, posting online and all the rest of it. And that's because the product's great and they want to shout about it. The second thing is, is we've invested heavily in paid marketing and knowing how to, you know, Facebook ads, all that kind of stuff. Thirdly is my personal brand, my education, what I'm constantly trying to do to help kind of the wider public understand health, nutrition and supplementation. Um, Yeah, they're probably the three major things. And, you know, how... You know, do you work on, like a lot of businesses look at cost of customer acquisition, lifetime value of a customer, recurring income from a customer. Do you analyze it to that extent so you know, I suppose, what it costs you per customer and the profit per customer? Yes, I do. How important is that in your business or in any business? I think in the early days, you can obsess on it a little bit too much. And actually, in any business's young journey, you just need to hustle until you start to see enough data in the numbers to go, this is where I need to hustle better. Because you never really know what's going to work. Because, you know, you can look at all the social platforms. You could start doing things on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, wherever. But for some reason, your content starts to stick somewhere, a particular platform, whether that's Facebook. And you might listen to some business professionals and they're like, but Facebook's dying, you know, and it's like, but I'm doing well. Like, and then you just pull your resources. So I think you've got to have enough data sometimes to support analysis. Otherwise, you just, you don't really know where you're going to go because the data is just so young. Like, you've got to have a certain amount of traffic to really pull apart data, in, in my opinion. And because in the early days, we were going for more of a longer term brand play, I was just building, building, building. And then when the numbers started to look like they were breaking, they didn't add up. That's when we went into the analysis a bit more. And we, yeah, we understand that back to front now. And just jumping back to product, because I remember when you, earlier in the podcast, you said that, you know, having a range is important so that people kind of buy everything from you or don't go elsewhere and you keep them on the site. How, and also you mentioned some fat burners, they're rubbish and, you know, this, that. And also your Instagram says research backed. So we put this all together. How did you decide what range of products to offer and what not to offer? And how, I suppose, how does the research then come into that? So we only offer products that have 100% backed research behind it. And that was the way that we built the range. It's like, cool, protein powder, well-established, creatine, well-established, beta aniline, well-established, multivitamin that's high quality, well-established. So we haven't got any grey, and that basically defined our range. And our range has been quite a simple, core, effective range for quite a long period of time now. We're now 
going to evolve a bit more. Um, back end of 2023, 2024, there'll be some significant changes. But again, it's still based on research because I want you to look at my brand and think it's credible. You know, and, and I don't want people to go, oh, well, they've said it's research-based, so it must be. It's not like, where is the actual research? Like, show me where do I need to go? Where can I do my research? And that's really important for me because ultimately every supplement company says they're research-backed. Yeah, and I think you can always find some research to back your opinion, you know? Exactly. You think fat burning does 25 calories extra. I'm sure someone somewhere funded by a fat burning company would say it's 100 calories. So science is supposed to be this kind of, you know, double blind, peer reviewed, factual thing. But especially when money's involved, so pharmaceuticals, supplements, we both know that they're just, it's going to be what it is. You know, like I studied biochemistry at uni, worked in the industry, and I just saw this and thought, that doesn't make any sense. You know, when you're marketing these things, like this, this does, and in fitness, it's just, it's, it's incredible how much, I think, nonsense there is. And you, you have a decision, right? You can be research-backed or be research-backed. You can sell things in a gray area and you'll make more money. Like, I'm pretty confident that if you sold a dream and you, did, you would make more money, right? Mm. But you're making a conscious decision based on your values not to. And I think people in business need to not get caught up in that money. But when you said this a few times, think about the long game. Think about the credibility. Think about well, what do I actually believe in? Like, if I don't believe in this and I laugh at people taking fat burners and it's nonsense, but I could make an extra 100 grand a year selling it, that's a decision a lot of people make towards the money versus the kind of morals. So mm. it's good to see that you're on that side of it, which, which I expected. Yeah. Now, Brexit, you mentioned Brexit caused a lot of issues. Now, yeah. people who voted for Brexit probably think it has had no effect and is wonderful and the country's running great. The news tells you what it wants to tell you. Yeah. How has Brexit affected your business? Just made it all complicated with shipping, supply chains, getting product in and out of the country, just loads more red tape. Also, because it created so much change, you're then waiting for all the other companies to like basically sort their shit out. So we're like trying to negotiate contracts and like, oh, we don't actually know yet. Our compliance team hasn't done this. And I'm like, well, I need I need 50 grand's worth of product in like like next week. Like I need so we just basically said, look, this is tying our team up in so many knots. We're wasting time, money and effort. We'll just do everything in the UK. We'll maybe willing to make some like hard choices, uh, but we're able to kind of navigate it. But that was the big thing. Like it all just got messy and no one really knew what was going on. Everyone was getting tied up in paperwork. So we just backed out. And you said that it cost time and cost money. You know, was it a... significant amount of money i'm trying to sort of i don't know get the viewers to understand the impact of brexit on businesses you know was it enough that you thought you know how much i don't want to say how much was it but how much did it impact the business and for how long well we used it to make bigger brand decisions and the brand has moved way beyond those decisions now so i can't tell you the financial impact i also don't care like our business is in a different position we accepted it we moved on i'm not licking any wounds at all um the big thing we the main thing we did is we stopped selling whey protein. And at the time, that was probably about 20 grand's worth of income a month. So we made, I made the big decision to say, okay, I'm going to wipe 20 grand off my balance sheet every month, which is a bold call to make. Yeah. And we didn't make up the short flow for a while. It, was, it ended up being quite a significant risk to the business. And it's taken quite a while to kind of win that back. But um, again... Sometimes you've just got to know when you're not really going to get the outcome that you want and you've just got to move on and get your head down. Cool. That makes sense. And I think 
it's important not to dwell on these things, not to look back at them in certain ways. Like you've, the business has changed for the better because mm. of it, not because of it. You know, you made decisions and it's, it's worked out. Have you got a team in awesome? Like what is the structure to make it all function and work? Yeah, it's been a big change over the last couple of months. I used to have a team of about 10. We're now down to five. Um, there was a lot of inefficiencies. A lot of things have changed. Um, so we've now sort of leaned our operation right down. Uh, we've now found I've become a better business owner as well. Um, and this is why I think health in business is so, so, so important. So... Um, I, at the back end of 2020, got long COVID and spent two years sort of trying to get uh, out of that. Then I had low testosterone and all of those things make you, well, they cause you to be in a very dark place. And when you're in a dark place and you haven't got your health, you make bad decisions. And I made a lot of bad decisions, tried to keep growing at the rate we were trying to grow. You combine that with bad decisions, you're going to lose a lot of money. And now I've got my health back. We're making strong decisions, data-led decisions, quick decisions as well to kind of save cash flow. Um, so, I mean, before I got ill, our company was doing well. We were doing about a million and a half. Uh, everything was great. I got ill. In the space of two years, lost 180 grand, all through bad decisions. So if people want in this podcast raw numbers of how your health can affect your business... That's it. Like I had poor health and I've lost, yeah, 180 grand as a result of it. And we're now having to try and get ourselves out of a hole. So health in business is so important and so many business owners overlook it. And at some point you're going to become unstuck because you're going to be making bad decisions. Yeah, I think that's, that's definitely a lesson. And I've realized that one of my biggest fears is being unhealthy. Like people will say, oh, what's your biggest fear? And I think... I don't like spiders, but like I can I can fuck with them if I need to. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> stand them. Yeah, I'll like stand them. It's not it's not that bad. And I think I'm not really fear of, de- of, of dying because I'm dead. I'm gone. Whatever. And I thought, and I and I heard something on a podcast, and there's data I'm sure to support it that our lifespan is increasing, but our health span isn't mm. increasing. And so I thought, well, I don't want to be 70 and unhealthy. I want to be 70 and be fucking be a bodybuilder in the gym. Like I want to be yeah. to keep my health and activity as much as I can. And so I think when you maybe have a fear of it or when you've experienced it in your case and what it can do to you, 180 grand, when you're turning over, you know, 1.5 million, that's just over 10% of turnover because of health. That's, that's most companies' profit. That was yeah. all our profit gone. That's, that's massive Yeah. because of health. Not because of the market, not because, you know, the bad, because of health. And that really, really, hopefully, drives home for people listening and watching that, you know, health is wealth. Health is the foundation of everything we do. And without that, this is what happens. And obviously that's something you couldn't necessarily control. Are there things, and I'm sure there are, that you do for your health to maintain your health that are maybe core principles to you that maybe everyone should do or could do? Number one is sleep. So I'm usually asleep by half nine, quarter to ten. Yeah. Uh, I I also have two young kids, so I get in bed early to kind of make sure I've got room to make up on sleep. Because if I went to bed at 11 o'clock and I want to get up at seven, but my kids are getting up at half five, again, you're you're not getting enough sleep. So I'm in bed early. Also, that allows me to have time to myself. If my kids are up at a good time, 
I get an hour or so free to myself in the morning. So good quality sleep, get up in the morning, hydrate with water, have a coffee. Um, and I usually eat breakfast just when I get hungry. I don't have a set time. I just let hunger dictate that. It's quite a natural thing. Uh, have a very high nutrient dense diet, good solid amount of protein. Um, stay very protective of my time. Like my family get my time. My team get my time. My fitness gets my time. And that's, that's kind of it. Um, so sleep's number one minimum of three decent sweaty workouts a week. I don't try and over plan it too much because I find that's just a struggle with the business and family life. So I keep it quite flexible. Um, try and play a bit of sport once a week. Cause I just, I don't know. I believe a man has this need to be competitive and be alpha and just do things that are like, <laughs> um, so I think sport is a great out, outflow for that. So playing a bit of sport. Um, so yeah, apart from sleeping well, eating well, moving well, and then there's the mind. The mind is the most powerful or limiting thing that we have. So for me, regular reading and, um, and now I'm a parent, it's smaller doses. So I just make sure I pick my education wisely. Um, and then meditation and mentoring. So I get quite a lot of mentoring and coaching to make sure I'm still always upskilling and leveling up my game and also seeing my blind spots. Uh, and then meditation, I think, is a great leveler for all things health and decision making. I agree. The power of breath work alone can do so mm. much for your physiology. Yep. You know, people really don't realize. And it's been around for thousands of years. So things don't stick unless you know they have some benefit or there's, there's something to them do you track your sleep do you have any do you use like a fitness watch or a, I, did I have an aura I, ring i did think i thought i saw that earlier yeah i'm a big fan of intuition leading most things in health and i resisted getting an aura ring for a very long time until two friends sort of kept going get one get one get one anyway long story short i cut a business deal got a free aura ring wrapped up in some stuff and i now really like it and the reason i like it is because I'm a busy business owner. I've got two young kids and sometimes intuition isn't actually enough. So, you know, when yeah. you wake up in the morning, like I feel a little bit ropey, actually. I'm not, I'm not on my game today, but your aura ring goes, actually your blood oxygen level's fine. Your HRV is fine. Stop being a wimp and get out there and do the training session that you were going to do. And that's really good for me because I've been ill for a long time as well. And actually gauging my health has become more challenging because of, background of what's happened with my illness and like sometimes second guessing it so that that's actually been really valuable um so i use more of the health metrics within it than the sleep tracking but i do and i value it now yeah do you lift weights with it on no i take it off yeah because i thought i've got a fitbit which is here it's it's it should be a lot better given 2023 but I always thought if I get an aura ring, when I lift weights, I can't use it. So it kind of takes away my main exercise because obviously it'll damage it. So I just wondered if people did it with that, but fair enough. Uh, with, you know, that's a good point because the amount of times I've woken up and thought, oh, my shoulder hurts, this hurts. And I think, oh, okay, you know what? I'm, I'm going gym, but it's probably not going to be a heavy session. I go in there, do a personal best. And I'm like, what were you doing an hour yeah. ago like pissing around yeah. like giving me all these aches but then I come in and you smash it so you're right like sometimes your body just gives you these signals that you should listen to evolutionarily right like to be safe mm. sometimes you have to just be like this is nonsense like I'm I'm gonna just do my thing irrespective of that 
So you as a person, we've kind of spoken about the, the difficulties you've had, the challenges. What's been, you know, some of the wins, some of the successes, some of the, the, the real big positive moments of having Awesome as a business? I think in business in general, the biggest win is that I've built a business that I'm able to control and rule so that I can live the life that I want, which is many why a lot of people go into business. So I can shape it around my family life if I want to go out for the day and you know do whatever with my family than I can. Um, in terms of the supplement business, if you're willing to play the long game, you know this the scale is pretty infinite. You look at my protein they sold to the Huck Group at 50 odd million and now they're doing five, 600 million Crazy. now in the Asian market, Asian continents, like absolutely crushing it. So there's huge appetite for that kind of product in, you know, pretty much every market. Um, I think there's not a lot more in terms of like the supplements itself, but on kind of like a wider business level, um, just very proud of like the education things that I've done. Like I've spoke on, spoken on all the biggest stages in my industry, got a best-selling book, had a number one rated podcast for many, many years. So like all of those just sort of giving and content-based things I'm very proud of because I know it's helped a lot of people. Amazing. And you mentioned there some figures that uh, MyProtein has sold for. I used to take MyProtein and it was always that, it's okay. It's yeah. cheap. It does the job, you yeah. know, it's like, meh, and it kind of never got better. Mm. And then when I tried their vegan protein and I tried like the, some other company's vegan protein, I was just like choking with like cardboard yeah. and it was pea protein as well. So I was surprised when you said yours was pea protein because in my head, pea protein is very cardboardy and powdery, Yes. Um, which this isn't. Now, you mentioned the numbers there. What's next for Awesome? Now you mentioned the end of the, the year, you're going to, things are going to change, things are going to evolve. But is there a sort of, right, in 10 years, we're going to have 10 million EBITDA, we're going to sell for this much and sail into the sunset? What's like the, the vision for Awesome as a business? So I'm now fascinated by health on like a wider level. So mm -hmm. in my 20s, health is all about looking good, performing good, being able to like push and achieve but unfortunately, all that push and achieve made me burn out, get ill, and I actually had to sacrifice my health for a long period of time. So being an entrepreneur made me ill. So now I'm trying to slow down and go, right, how do I stop loads of other people, whether they're entrepreneurs or ambitious people, not do what I did? So I want Awesome Supplements to start to evolve more into a wider health understanding picture. So you asked me about the aura ring, like, the ideal awesome customer for me in the future would probably have an aura ring and do these five things every day to monitor where their health is at and understand their health. That would include periodic blood testing, periodic gut testing, because like all these things give a, an incredible insight into your health. Like when I had long COVID, I did a gut test and the gut test came back and it was like, your guts are in absolute bits. I can imagine. And I worked on it. And I really saw the benefits, like my stool changed, like I could physically see it. So for me, again, it's that wider play of making people understand how valuable their health is. And I'm now mid-30s, I've got two kids, and every other mid-30s people that I talk to with two kids and older, they're always struggling to get that balance of like work, health, life, etc. So if I can bring together 
all of that into the awesome philosophy, then that's what I'm going to do. So there's some really cool changes that are happening, but that's probably as much as I'm willing to share for now. Listen, I like it. I think one thing I have heard throughout this podcast, and I think all of the listeners and watchers are going to have heard, is your passion. Every question that you answer is either starting with your passion, your beliefs and around health. And for me, that's really nice to see because a lot of people get in business to chase money. A lot of people get in business for ego, for a combination or to play the game of business. But from you, what I really get is passion. I get giving back. I get helping others. I get something that I think is lacking nowadays because as I said earlier, it's so easy to not have that and make money. You can make money with no values, no ethics in any industry and you arguably will make more money than the people with values and ethics, right? So it's so nice and refreshing to hear that, especially when it's something that I'm consuming every day, yeah. to know that you as the owner have this as your forefront. Like for me, that's, that's really important. Now, if you could have dinner with any three people, dead or alive, yeah. who would it be? And more importantly, because I'm a foodie as well, what would you eat? Oh, what would I eat? Do you know what? I'm a massive fan. You know that game you play where you're on death row and they're like, what's your last yeah, yeah, meal? Yeah. And people are always like, huh, that's your main meal? But I'm a massive fan of a really well-cooked Sunday roast. Ooh, classic. Like yeah. all the meat trimmings, like, oh, especially because my wife's mum is like pucker. Other family members are also good at roast. <laughs> um, so maybe, I don't know, oh, I don't know, uh, like really well cooked, not cooked, but like really good sushi is really good. Yeah. Hey, I'm just, I actually, I'll say I'd love a really good like South American meal. And that's Ooh, only because yeah. I've not had that food. Yeah, I've had it briefly. So I'm like, you know, because it's oh, an incredible steak. A lot of people love a really good steak. I don't eat it often, but like when it's, oh, you're like, oof. Um, so the three people, probably Richard Branson. Yeah, okay. I've always admired his value-based, passion-driven approach to business and changing things. So I've like read all his books, probably read them all twice. Uh, the second one would be Arnold Schwarzenegger. Again, I'd love to feel that energy of like, he's probably the most focused, historically high-performing alpha that mm. there is. And I'd love to be around that. So you're going to say you want to feel his biceps there for a second. I want to feel his biceps <laughs> yeah. too, yeah. Um, that's probably a really bad impression. <laughs> I'm going to clip that now. Just yeah. <laughs> And then the third one is probably The Rock. Oh, okay. Another I'd love to there. just, again, feel that, like, momentous energy and focus. Um, or, I don't know, I'd maybe choose someone like Ray Dalio. Oh, like okay. Some yeah. big, lovely writers you know, there's a lot of writers that I really respect. Ray Dalio being one of them. His book Principles is, you know, is phenomenal. Yeah, really good books, yeah. Um, yeah, maybe someone like that. Maybe Tim Ferriss. I don't know. Tim Ferriss is a very cool, like, life hacker. Yeah. I feel like he just, I feel like his mind, and it probably is because of the ayahuasca and stuff that he does, but I feel like his mind is just sort of operating on a slightly higher plane than most of us with the way he looks at things. So, yeah, I love Tim Ferriss, and I'm down for some South American food for sure. Now, this podcast is called TED Talks Being Better. Yep. Now, for me, being better is kind of two things. It's being, which is being a human being, but being present. Like it. But then also balancing that with being better. Because as, as entrepreneurs, we make this much. Let's make a bit more. We make this much. Let's make a bit more. We never stop, right? Yep. And I, I think it's important to have a stop point and to have a set point and to enjoy that. What does being better 
mean to you? Continual evolution of self. And I love that feeling where every day, and it might only be a five-minute moment in my day, that I feel that I've just learned something or peeled another little bit of the layer of the onion back, and I'm like, oh, I can really work with that. And I just find it a very warming aspect of the soul to know that you've grown as a person, even in a tiny way, some days in a really big way, in a really profound way. So I, I look for that. And I think that's sometimes why I get quite frustrated with having young kids because you're like, oh, mate, I'm up at five. They're not going to be up for an hour or so. And you just sit down. I'm like, right, I'm about to meditate for a couple of minutes. And I, you're like, (laughs) (laughs) so sometimes I do get that kind of frustration in my life. But yeah, it's that just chipping away at it. I find it so exciting. And, you know, some people might think that's kind of obsessive or whatever, but like, We're not on this planet for long. And actually exploring our own potential and abilities, I think, is an absolutely beautiful thing. I I think that's a beautiful way to end it, Ben. But thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been, like I've said, it's been amazing to just hear and feel your passion for your business and your passion for health. And I'm glad that you're able to express it and create these products that are based on passion and I am really looking forward to the evolution later this year. So I will be keeping my eyes peeled. And look, I'll put all your contact details in the show notes below for your coaching, for awesome website, everything. I'll put it below. And honestly, people, like, I, you know, I don't just say this. I genuinely, I'm going to grab a pack here. I genuinely, genuinely love this protein powder. Like, it tastes incredible. It smells amazing. No, no. It, it mixes... Sometimes it thickens the things you mix. Sometimes it makes them... Th- it just has this wonderful quality. And the, the, the orange flavor tastes like Terry's chocolate orange almost. Choc orange. For cakes, yeah. Like when I had it, I was just like, this can't be protein. Yeah. You know, like this... It's a bit sweeter, that one. Like it's for the sweet tooth it, person. It is. Yeah. It is. And, uh, but the orange is... It just tastes like a real orange. Yeah, it's uh, bitter. Yeah. yeah, a lot of orange stuff is just not nice. Sickly. Yeah, like way too sickly, way too like tart and tastes like cowpole, you know, cowpole mm. orange, which tastes quite nice to be fair. <laughs> but people, honestly, I really, really like these products. So if you're looking for a new protein powder, creatine, protein bars, uh, multivitamins, yep. a bunch of stuff, honestly, go check it out. Because like I said, I don't wax lyrical about things unless I consume them. And I have this every day and I have IBS and it doesn't trigger not, no issues at all. So again, if you have IBS as well, then yeah, go to fuck with it. So Ben, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. You're doing good things. So uh, it's a real pleasure to be on the show. Thanks. Thanks.